You are listening to Studying Pixels, the only podcast on game studies and video game culture that is entirely sponsored by Team Rocket. Aha, prepare for trouble. <laughs> I'm Stefan Heinrich Simond. I'm a game study scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to have a lot to say about Pokemon today, but I think first we need to state our claim here a little bit as to where we stand with the series, because I have loved Pokemon for many years, and then I completely fell off of it. And for the last couple of years, it just kind of flew past me. I didn't really pay much attention to it until I played, I think, Pokemon Sword and a little bit of Pokemon Arceus, though with no great passion, I must say. Yeah, I think we have similar backgrounds. Pokemon's very close to my heart, and I was very invested in them up until, realistically, up until Ruby and Sapphire, the third generation. And then I kind of sporadically checked in with it until Sword and Shield. And then I was sucked back in immediately. And I think I have a fonder view of Arceus than you do, and spent a lot of time with that game when it came out. Yeah, Arceus for me had the kind of problem that while it did introduce a lot of interesting new aspects, such as these, you know, open world hubs and a lot more engaging fights, it did also make the task of collecting Pokemon a little bit more trivial, as you were just like, throwing Pokeballs around left and right while you were just yeah. running through the wilderness. <laughs> and to me, that felt a little bit like a, a bit of an overwhelming, well, collectathon. Although, what else is Pokemon than a gigantic collectathon, really? That's a fair point. Although I would say that we come from the same point of view, which is that we like the aspect of Pokemon, which is catching a special Pokemon. And by that, I mean a po like a Pokemon that's special to you, and then raising it, building up your team, and having that connection with it. So... I do think Pokemon in the past few years has kind of fell into the abyss of catch a million Pokemon until you find the best possible version of it, which I think we're both kind of like, well, that sort of defeats the fun of Pokemon to us. Yeah, we'll have to see where things end up with the upcoming video games, the ninth generation, Pokemon Scarlet wow. and Pokemon Violet. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to discuss what we know so far about these new games. We're going to discuss, of course, the reveals of the recent Pokemon Presents showcase. And we're going to ponder where Pokemon Scarlet and Violet fall between the past and future of the series. But before we do that, let me briefly remind you that if you like this show and you want to help us make it happen, then you can do that by joining Studying Pixels Plus, which is our patron program. There you can get all of our episodes entirely ad-free. You'll get a lovely sticker and monthly plus episodes. We actually have a new episode out. They always release on the first Wednesday of the month, so they should already be in your feed if you're a subscriber. And if you're not and you're curious, then hey, what we're going to talk about this month are pitfalls of a BA thesis. So a bachelor's thesis, because throughout the process of writing our own theses and throughout the process of supervising a whole lot of bachelor's theses over the last couple of years, We've learned a lot of like, you know, common problems and pitfalls, and we detail them and discuss them so that you don't have to fall into them. If you're curious about that, then you can go to studyingpixels.com slash plus to find out more. Hold up. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today we're going to talk about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Respectively, what we know of it so far and what we make of the announcement that the announcements that we've heard. So we know that it's the ninth generation of Pokemon games and that it had been introduced already in February 2022. But we got a whole lot more details on 3rd of August at the Pokemon Presents live showcase. That's why we're talking about these two games now. And the first thing maybe that we learned before we go into the nitty gritty is that it's got a release date now, which would be the 18th of November 2022. And of course, it's going to be a Nintendo Switch exclusive. Nintendo Switch still hanging in there. Still hanging in there. <laughs> still going strong. We're like four or five years on. Mm. And there's that, right? still no Nintendo Switch Pro in sight. No, no. But I mean, more power to them. I think we've talked before about how Nintendo is so stylized. Fine. You know, it's Pokemon is going to look like Pokemon. I don't know exactly what more I would expect from it. Yeah, but you said more power to them and I kind of wish they would. <laughs> Because the thing is that when I saw these trailers of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, I mean, fair enough. Yeah, they're stylized. And I think the characters, they look fine. They look like characters in any other Pokemon game. They could have come out this year or last year or five years ago. They would still look the same. But when it comes to the environments, we've now got this like open world that is going to be the key feature of the game. And you can clearly tell that when they do these like pans over the world and they, you know, these camera movements through the cities. And I just think like all of the glitching around, you know, that's going to be tough. Yeah. And I will say this because Arceus had a similar release issue where (laughs) it looked like it was in, I don't know, like, you know, 260p or something crazy. And it just, it didn't look very polished at the time. And here's my, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I think from my understanding, Game Freak is a much smaller development studio than we think they are. And the Pokemon company allocates resources in a very stingy way, it seems like. And so there's something about these trailers where it's very clear to me that they have deadlines that they have to get certain things out for trailers for. And you're going to see a lot of glitches. You're going to see a lot of low frame rates, you know, compared to a PS5 exclusive, (laughs) a lot of disappointing graphical issues. But Arceus, I think, turned a lot of those around for what it's worth. So I'll reserve judgment on the lower power 
issues there. Yeah, I mean, I'll judge it already. <laughs> yeah, go but, for it. Yeah, <laughs> but but the thing is that I, I also understand. It's a fair point that you make that the the developer studio might be smaller. Also, we have to consider that they are putting out a new game every year, normally. Pretty much, yeah. That's quite a tight schedule to keep. Like every year, a new Pokemon game. Every year, like, you know, of course, they're copying assets and stuff and they have their basic mechanics that are working, but they want to present some kind of innovation. And so I can understand that there's always a challenge and they're not going to reach the graphical fidelity of something that, you know, where Naughty Dog re-releases <laughs> The Last of Us Part 1 for the 50th time while, you know, just remodeling every single soda can that's on the shelf in great detail. I understand that. But still, I feel like, and this is just maybe a, a side note or a footnote here, that seeing such games like Pokemon Arceus, but also Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which recently oh, sure. released, and now the announcement of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, for me, a Nintendo Switch Pro model cannot come soon enough because these studios could certainly make use of this additional power, especially as they all go into the direction of open worlds. And I'm just I'm just not really enticed by a whole lot of like bland textures in gigantic open world. There's a definite ceiling for it. And I think poor Xenoblade Chronicles 3, I haven't started it yet, but you just think like a game like that is just begging for better hardware but we'll see as long as it runs okay here's the other thing is that i don't know i remember i had a similar issue with uh kingdom hearts 3 when that was released where i started thinking like well we've come a long way since kingdom hearts 2 but it's so stylized i wonder if it'll look weird if they go more realistic or more high fidelity i kind of have the same feeling with pokemon where it's like it's looked like this forever i wonder if it would be jarring if it suddenly like okay i'll give you a real life example that detective pikachu movie yeah it looks good but it looks weird yeah <laughs> it looks weird where you can see all the hairs on the pokemon and stuff they look too animal like yeah yeah it's uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> that scene where, I don't know whether that is the correct English name for it, but where that slurp is on the train. Slurp! <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no, I think we've discovered something here. Slurp, what, what does it look like? It's, it's like got this gigantic tongue. Lick a tongue. Lick a tongue. It's called lick a tongue. Yeah, it's slurp in German. It's, yeah, basically, literally, would translate as slurp. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that's my Why favorite thing I've learned. Why is it called lick a tongue? That's such a weird translation. <laughs> <laughs> slurp. It's like <laughs> that. That lick a tongue, or even like yeah, Pikachu. I get that they can't be too realistic, and I don't think they should go in the direction of photorealism. But what I would expect is. A little bit more vegetation, a little bit more details on the environment. I know it's mostly there to just be traversed. It's not the kind of game where you stand idly by and gaze at the beautiful details of a vast field or something. It's not like Ghost of Tsushima, for example. Right. I understand that. I think I'm just, I'm getting a little bit wary of the Nintendo Switch's lack of graphical fidelity, considering the beauty that seems to be in these games that is just out of reach because of the power and memory limitations. No, I think that's totally fair. And I will say that 
there seemed to be a lot of holdover from the Arceus game, which when we reviewed it, we made note that it was pretty experimental for a Pokemon game. Yeah, totally. And it seems like they're taking a lot of the results from that experiment and moving forward with it in this game. So graphical quality aside, they seem to be taking chances in other areas too. Well, one thing that definitely will be the case is that we will get a new area as always, and it's going to be called Paldea. It's not quite clear as to there's no direct inspiration, it seems, but it's going to be a little bit more of a, yeah, like a slightly fantastical, idolized version of, I don't know what, like a the countryside. I think it's supposed to be Spain, from what I've gathered. Spain? Paldea? Spanish-inspired? I believe so, because the uh, the starter Pokemon are all sort of Spanish. Well, I don't know if they all are, but like one of them is Fue Coco. Ah, Fue Coco, yes. Yeah, and there's something about... I, I'm the windmills, I'm thinking of Don Quixote. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's some Spanish influence there. I think that's the idea that they're going with. But it's all over the map a little bit. So yeah, I can see where it's not clear that it has an identity quite yet. If we look at this new starter Pokemon, then obviously the question is always, which kind of starter are you going to pick? We've got three options. We've got Brigatito, yep. which is this Sprigatito that should be the plant-based cat creature. Yeah, grass cat. The grass cat. We've got Fue Coco, which is like a fire crocodile. And we've got Quaxley, which is, uh, of course, <laughs> who would have guessed, uh, water duck. Yeah. What is your starter going to be, Dan? I'm drawn to that Fue Coco guy. Uh, me too. First of all, I always love the fire starters, but the idea of a little crocodile Pokemon, I was a big fan of Totodile from the second generation, the water Pokemon. And anytime they add a crocodile Pokemon, they, they're always like these little stinker kind of characters. <laughs> I just like how they look. And so, yeah, he was uh, he was my guy from, from the off. I actually found a description of their types, kind of, with the personalities a little bit. It's on Polygon, and we're going to link the article in the show notes, of course. And here it says, with partially quotes from the official website of the game, Sprigatito is a capricious, attention-seeking grass cat Pokemon <laughs> that can conduct photosynthesis. Fue Coco is a laid-back fire croc Pokemon that does things at its own pace and spouts flames. And Quaxly is an earnest and tidy duckling Pokemon who is particular about keeping its hair clean. He has a pompadour. He's a 1980s Japanese thug. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a beautiful <laughs> pompadour. <laughs> but in that case, I think I'll also go with the fire crocodile Fue Coco because a laid back fire crocodile, that's just so nice. Because usually I know that the fire Pokemon, they're often attributed a more temperamental nature. And while I do like their abilities and they are often considered to be like the strongest starters because often you are at the beginning confronted with bug and grass Pokemon. So they're kind of like a little bit the easy mode, you could say. <laughs> at the same time, I found the temperamental nature, they never really resonated with me. Like the bunny Pokemon, the fire bunny in Pokemon Sword. Yeah, I didn't really like that one. I, I always went with either Grookey or Sobble in Sword and Shield, the grass and water Pokemon. Because, yeah, I, I agree. It's just something about the attitude. I didn't quite <laughs> I didn't quite like it. Yeah, those fire Pokemon and their attitudes, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but laid back crocodile, sign me up. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm going to choose that one as well. And there's also going to be two schools that you're going to attend. Depending on which version you get, you're going to join either Naranja or Uva Academy. And I think here it becomes pretty clear, as you said, that this is properly Spanish-influenced, actually, with Naranja. And yeah, it will depend on the version, which kind of school you will attend. But the overarching theme here is always that there is some kind of big treasure hunt going to happen. And you are participating in this. Now, the crucial aspect about this treasure hunt is that they basically, as far as I understand it, intend to let you loose into the world and they will have this kind of non-linear progression for the narrative. So you've got, on the one hand, the traditional story of you going through eight different gyms and, you know, beating all the gym leaders to ascend the ranks of becoming a Pokemon trainer. But not only can you take on these gyms in any order that you desire, but also there are, as they hinted at, two more storylines in addition to this one. They didn't say what kind of storylines those are going to be, but you are supposed to take any of these on at your own pace and in any order that you desire, which I find very interesting. I love this idea, and I'm so excited for it because one of my favorite things in Arceus was that it was open world, but it was still very linear. You had to go to certain places at certain times to progress the story. So it kind of felt like a normal Pokemon game where you have to do this before you can do that. This seems like they are opening it up in a way where if you want to explore, you can. And if you want to train your Pokemon to fight stronger Pokemon before the, you know, quote, story progresses, then you're able to. And I think it's a really smart setup. And it also does something that the Pokemon nerd in me is really excited for, which is when Pokemon X and Y were released, there was an anime, a short OVA it's called, of four episodes called Pokemon Origins. Did you watch this stuff on when it came out? No, I can't remember ever having seen this. It's so cool because it's basically like, all right, the Pokemon anime, it follows Ash and it's not really the games. It's more just the world of Pokemon. Pokemon Origins is Pokemon Red and Blue. The main character is red and his rival is blue and it's beat for beat the games. So four episodes, they kind of take you through the story of Pokemon Red. And one of the coolest things is that Red goes to fight Brock, the first gym leader, and Brock recognizes oh, you're a brand new Pokemon trainer. And he goes over to like a cabinet and he has all of his Pokemon. He says, I'll use these two since you're new. And it answered an age old question, which is what if you're a Pokemon trainer who starts on the other side of the world and you get to Brock when you're like, he's your last gym trainer, right? Or gym leader. What does he do? He, does he just use Geodude and Onyx, these level 10 yeah. Pokemon? <laughs> no, he has, depending on your level, he has Pokemon that he uses. So it seems to me that that's the direction they're going in where the gym leader's Pokemon are going to be different depending on when you fight them, which is so cool, I think. Well, either that, either the gym leader's Pokemon are going to change or you're going to have some kind of means of ascertaining the kind of difficulty or maybe even roughly the level that you need oh. in order to defeat them. Or what I find the most interesting aspect about this is that you're not just like going through as in here's route one as it always would be. Yeah, and yeah. then you always kind of like <laughs> go through this linear trail. But instead, what I find most appealing is you have a gym for, let's say, water Pokemon. There's water Pokemon gym leader. And so you could make it I don't know whether they will, but you could make it an interesting thing where you find out a little bit about them, about their personality, maybe mm. about 
the bonds that they have with certain Pokemon. So you can kind of ascertain what you're up against and then build up your own team in accordance to that. You could say it's a certain Breath of the Wild influence there yeah. where you adopt to the area. If you want to go into the snowy mountains, then you need certain equipment in order to get through there. And in this case, it would just be instead of like a lots of equipment, it would just be a Pokemon team that caters to that particular gym leader in that situation. I think that would be really interesting. That would be cool. What I hope doesn't happen, though, because Breath of the Wild walked the tightrope of technically there is an order that like an easy order or a an order that makes sense to do the phantom ganon stuff in or all the you know the the ganon boss fights but you can do anything in any order it just depends on how well prepared you are what i hope doesn't happen is that it becomes clear that there is actually an order that you should do the gym leaders in and that you know technically they're not numbered but you should do it this way i hope that's not the case i hope there's enough diversity and variety that it really is kind of like up to you how you want to go about it. Yeah, this is always like the kind of nudging that games often use where it's like, you can go down this beautiful path that has some flowers left and right <laughs> and a little bit of sheep Pokemon, or you could go in the volcano of, of eternal destruction with, <laughs> yeah, the, with all the dragons. monster that's like <laughs> five, yeah, and dragons that spew fire at you from the distance. Yeah. It's like, choose any order that you want i think i know where you want me to go yeah <laughs> but if they're good at it though then they could make it in such a way that you have i'm thinking here of nino kuni actually oh yeah because in nino kuni there is an order but it's also like an open world with different themed areas and depending on the area you get different creatures that will then be effective against the creatures that you encounter. And this is, of course, totally the logic that you would expect in such a Pokemon game, where if you're going to go to that water place, then maybe there's some kind of forest around it where you find a lot of, like, I don't know what, grass Pokemon and maybe yeah. some electricity Pokemon, so that you kind of build up your team organically if you go in the direction of that particular gym. That would be really nice. That kind of, speaking of the show, that reminds me of I mean, that's how the show operated, which was Ash would come across a new challenge and then somebody would say, you know, if you want to fight the psychic gym leader, you should probably go to the haunted house and catch a ghost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So little hints like that. Actually, that would tie in some real classic RPG elements about talking to townspeople, like you were saying, kind of figuring out who you're fighting. I would really like that. We're assembling a great Pokemon game here. I hope it's true. <laughs> Especially since I complained at the beginning about the, let's say, insufficiencies when it comes to the graphical fidelity. When we brainstorm these ideas, just these, let's say, implied promises within this presentation, I can already get a sense of like how cool this might be to play if it is well implemented. The only challenge is, of course, going to be how are they going to regulate difficulty? Will it be the case that there is a certain difficulty and that's what implies the order that you should do these gyms in? Or is there maybe a flexible kind of difficulty that the trainers scale with you? And isn't that going to be annoying because you can never basically get stronger than they are? There's so many things that they could still stumble over here. I will go on the record to say if that is what happens, I will be very disappointed. <laughs> yeah, that would be such a cheap trick. It's what Skyrim does, and I hate it. You can never feel like you actually progress because everyone progresses with you. Bad mechanic. I will go out on a limb and say I do not like when games do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there are also a couple of other changes and additions that we need to address. One is that there is this terrestrial or terrestrial feature. This kind of replaces the Dynamaxing that they introduced in Pokemon Sword and Shield, where you kind of could take your Pokemon and transform them into these gigantic versions of themselves. In this case, 
they handle it a little bit more elegantly. Because if we are being honest, then these Dynamax Pokemons, they always looked super strange. (laughs) (laughs) This gigantic Bulbasaur and you just think like, my goodness, what did that thing eat? Instead, (laughs) what they're doing is now these terrestrial Pokemon, they are Pokemon that turn into gemstones and... They look actually quite impressive. They have a certain vibe of elegance and power about them. So you can transform Pokemon in your own team into terrestrial Pokemon, and then they will gain strength and specific abilities. There are also specific terrestrial Pokemon that you can catch. And of course, they can modify a Pokemon's type. So that gives you like an interesting strategic addition where you might use a certain Pokemon. Originally, might be weak against that water gym trainer, but by putting it in that terrestrial state, it gains abilities that are super powerful against that leader. I'm interested to see how this is used because coupling it with the open world, I think in this game that we're imagining from what we know of of the trailers and the Pokemon Direct and everything, I think this has the potential to be a really interesting exploration tool. So let's say you want to fight the fire gym leader, right? But then the only place that you really have access to is a forest. And so all of the Pokemon that you could catch are grass or bug type Pokemon. But there's like a secret terrestrial Pokemon in this forest that can change its type to water if you catch it, right? That would not only encourage exploration like the old Pokemon games did, like trying to find a Pikachu in Viridian Forest or something like that, but it can also add a dimension of strategy to fighting those gym leaders. So I think as gimmicky as these special evolution types or, you know, Dynamax, whatever, that have been around since I think X and Y, this to me could be really interesting coupled with the open world exploration aspect. Oh, did I just make a mistake when I said Dynamaxing was introduced in Sword and Shield? No, no, you're right there. But there's always a gimmick. There was a different gimmick. Since X and Y. Like Mega Evolution, Z Evolution. Like there's all these different gimmicks. Yeah, all these different... (laughs) Whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah. Every new Pokemon game has a new... I just call it like a new Digi Evolution, like from Digimon, because that's how it feels. (laughs) But anyway... Well, there's also going to be a multiplayer component, of course, which is one of the parts that is considered to be the most promising from what I can tell from online discourse. The idea is that you should be able to play this game with up to four players locally as well as online, and that you should, of course, be able to trade Pokemon, battle against each other, and that you should go on raids together, especially when it comes to these, like, especially powerful or rare terrestrial Pokemon. So you can fight together at your own pace. However, the biggest promise that they probably made is that you can explore the world together, because this world is now not going to be like, you know, in Sword and Shield, we had a world that was always like these very small linear hubs. In Arceus, it was big hubs, but it was still a separated world. Like if you wanted to enter a town, it would be a complete cut. This time, the promise is it's going to be completely open and that you can explore it together with a party of friends. I'm very curious to see to which degree they will keep that at least implied promise. Will it really be possible that we could technically, you and me, we can groove throughout this entire game together? Or will it be something where you join a little bit Elden Ring-like. You join and then you're like locked into a certain area or into like one gym leader and you know the others are not really keeping the progress or something along those lines. I'm really curious as to what they're going to do. Here's my hesitation about that. I don't know that the Pokemon formula 
lends itself to that kind of multiplayer. Because the idea of Pokemon is that you are you're becoming the best. And I would love to see a Pokemon game that encourages cooperation, but I don't know how that would work in a world that's about, you know, conquering other trainers to become better than them. <laughs> so I can see the raids, like in Sword and Shield, where it was, all right, get four people together to fight a Dynamax Pokemon. That makes sense to me. All right, four Pokemon against one big crazy Pokemon. That's fun. I don't know how you would do it with like progress in the game though fighting against other trainers. I'm interested to see how and if that's being implemented. It would need to be some kind of system where you can fight against, for example, a wild Pokemon with an entire party of trainers that come together. But it would not be impossible considering that the battle system in Arceus would technically allow for such a thing. Because I remember that in Arceus, you could already be in the situation. They experimented with that a little bit of having two Pokemon at the same time that you're battling with. So I think it might be that basically there, they kind of threw a stone in the water just to see, you know, how far the ripples go. And that now they might actually properly jump all in and say, let's make it possible so that both of us could, for example, run at a Pokemon and then we would both fight it at the same time. You know, what's interesting is because you mentioned Elden Ring from software looms large in game development, you know, it, it just has to. And it's kind of like an interesting take on that formula where it's, I could see a world where Stefan, you and I help each other catch a really rare Pokemon. You know, we wear it down together with our teams and then we, one of us catches it so that that person can then go and fight the gym leader. It's as if in Dark Souls, you just grinded together and then said, good luck with the boss. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then you, obviously you go on and you grind another one. That's right. You get another one for the other person. Of course. Of course. That's how you do it. That's, I think, <laughs> also why it's probably, and this is just how Nintendo always frames multiplayer in general, why it's probably not going to be a thing of just, you know, joining up with randos. Yeah. But you probably need to be on each other's friend list and then you probably need some kind of additional Pokemon training a code or something in order to join each other's games that's at least what i expect or you are in the immediate vicinity and that might be pretty cool if basically just someone can come by and just like basically due to the proximity of the two switch consoles join me and we just basically play together that would also be a really nice thing Okay, shall we take a brief break before we go into some of the thematic aspects of past and future and the two different versions of the game let's do it 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we are back talking about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. And of course, the big decision to make is always not only the starter Pokemon, but first of all, which version to play. And one of the most decisive differences on that front is probably the different legendary Pokemon that are featured on the cover of these games. They both have the same abilities and they are, I would say, quite different from previous legendary Pokemon in the series. As in, they basically are your vehicles. Since the world is open now and there's a lot of space to traverse, they've got kind of like by default a motorcycle, you could say? They're motorcycle Pokemon. Yeah, they're big lizards. And their names are Miraidon and Kodaidon, which we'll get into the significance of that in a minute here. But I'm really interested because this seems to be like an inversion of what the games usually do. Usually, you get the legendary Pokemon towards the end of the game because it's tied into the story, you're able to catch it, you foiled the team, whatever team it is, you foiled their plans. This, though, it seems like from the trailers, you have access to this Pokemon really early. And I almost wonder if it's going to be like at the school, you know, they're researching it. They have it in captivity and it takes a liking to you. And so you're able to use it in the treasure hunt because it seems like they're going to be doing something where you have it from the start and it can unlock different modes as you progress through the story. Like you can fly with it. You can climb with it. Arceus had a similar mechanic where different important Pokemon gave you different abilities throughout the world. And it seems like they're kind of relegating that to this legendary Pokemon you choose. Well, to be fair, it's not a fly feature, but it's going to be a glide feature. They're going to go all Breath of the Wild here, of course, where you can just glide down a cliff. I had the exact same thoughts because in previous Pokemon games, I remember in Pokemon Sword and Shield, it would be like you would encounter the legendary Pokemon very early on in a mysterious forest in usually yeah. a fight where you're supposed to lose and then they kind of like disappear in the fog and then throughout the entire story they always kind of appear a little bit just on the horizon of the narrative they're always alluded to and then of course at the end they come back for the grand finale so they're very elusive they're like truly legendary in that sense whereas here yeah they're kind of like they're your motorcycle they are your roach as in the witch's horse <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, they're just a vehicle to get around, and um, that gives them a different status, but it also, of course, gives you the necessary mobility to navigate these grand open worlds. And you said, actually, you alluded to the names of those two Pokemon, and of course, since, well, I mean, you are very well-versed in Japanese, and I have been studying Japanese now for two years, and the first thing that struck me was that Kodaidon and Midaidon, in their Japanese names. I think they are the same names in English, if I recall correctly. They'd better be, because they're very importantly named, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have a very important name because Kodai is ancient, right? It's the past. Kodaidon, it's kind of like, you know, the creature from the past. And 
Miraidon is Mirai is the future. So this really indicates a crucial thematic difference between the two games that I find pretty significant. Especially because as I looked further into this, I stumbled upon the fact that there are also going to be different professors this time. Because you always have yes. a professor that is your mentor, that guides your journey. And this time, they're going to be different depending on the version that you get. In Pokemon Scarlet, you're going to encounter Professor Sada, who in Japanese originally has the name Odim. Whereas in the Violet version, you're going to encounter Professor Turo, who in Japanese is named Futo. And of course, Futo is pretty clear an allusion to the future, Futo. Whereas Odim, as I at first was a little bit confused by that. What does Odim yeah. mean? Of course, it's uh, catechanized, so it would be Olim. And as I googled that, I found that it basically is a Latin, uh, adapted from Latin, and it means once upon a time. So Professor Sada, which I can't quite get the link between Sada and the past. I'm not sure. Is there something? I think I know it because this would be my guess. I don't know the Spanish word, but I mean, in the other professor is Turo, and I believe the Spanish for future is Futuro. That might very well be, yeah. I think Sada must be from the word past in Spanish would be my guess. Uh -huh. That's very interesting because then they kind of maintain these associative connections. And it seems that considering that so Kodai Don is kind of, a, you know, like an ancient creature, it also, while it is a motorcycle, has a little bit more of an ancient look. And then Professor Sada, respectively, Orim, is dressed also in a little bit more ancient gown under the, her lab coat. She looks like right? a cave lady. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to yeah. be that explicit. But yes, she does. She does exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she looks like she's from BC somewhere. Yeah. You know, minus minus the big forehead. Yeah. She's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. Professor Turo, Huto, he's got a, like a, how do you call these, like a side cut? Yeah, side cut, yep. A side cut or like an undercut? And no, is it an undercut? Undercut, I think, is a punch, right? I think, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think, think so. under, no, uppercut is a punch. Uppercut, yeah. Uppercut is a punch. No, he's got an undercut or a side cut, and he looks more modern or futuristic even, and it is only befitting that you've got Miraidon as a legendary Pokemon that also looks in itself a little bit more futuristic. So the big question is, how far are these differences going to go? Is there going to be a substantial difference in the narrative? Are the areas in the world going to be different? Are they going to be the towns? Are they going to be different? So that raises a whole lot of interesting questions. And for me, I think the most interesting part about this entire thing is that it's a very smart choice of Game Freak to theme it in that way, as in past, and future, bringing those two together. Because what they're doing with the entire structure of the game is exactly that. They're taking the past of Pokemon, which is this traditional journey of fighting against gym trainers, and the future, which is this idea of open world and the experimentation that they did with Pokemon Arceus, and already I would say with Sword and Shield with the wild area, where you have these kind of multiplayer functionalities and you see other trainers running around, bringing both of them together. And that is also why we titled this episode as the past and future of Pokemon, because it seems that Scarlet and Violet, they kind of seem to negotiate these two aspects. I'm so excited for this because Pokemon has never been a philosophically rich series, and I don't expect that this entry will be yeah. that interesting. However, Pokemon has always been a very self-reflective and self-aware series. And 
I'm really excited for this because for all the reasons you just said, I think this is going to be a really definitive new step in the Pokemon series. And I think that they're making a deliberate choice to add the past and future imagery because they're aware that, you know, the last two games that came out, discounting the Diamond and Pearl remakes, the last big entries, were Sword and Shield and Arceus. Sword and Shield, to me, felt like this incredible throwback to Pokemon Red and Blue. Yeah, they were very traditional. Very in their, traditional. The structure. And the, the story was great. It was simple. The characters were very straightforward. You have Leon, the champion. You know, it's, it's all about becoming the champion. Very much an old Pokemon story. Then you have Arceus, which is like a science fiction story <laughs> where you fall to the earth from the future or from the present into the past, you know, plucked by God himself to go back in time to sort of see what the world of Pokemon looked like. But at the same time, it's introducing a completely different gameplay style. So it's rooting the new ideas in the past of the universe which is a really interesting way to set up for Scarlet and Violet, which is basically saying it's still Pokemon, but everything could be different. And I love that idea. I'm very excited about it. And it seems like they know exactly what they're getting at with it. Yeah, the series is at a turning point, And it seems that while it might not be that Scarlet and Violet has a different definite answer for all of the questions that come up when thinking about what is Pokemon going to be like in the future. And I'm talking about how is the series going to develop within the next, let's say, five years. Yeah. It is probably going to be the game that reflects most decisively so on the point that the series is at at this point in time. Yeah. We talked about this in our Arceus review where we were kind of cautiously optimistic where we said wow yeah i hope this tells them the right message which is it is okay to experiment and try new things it seems like they're going in that direction and i think we said arceus was kind of the toe in the water kind of testing the temperature this is going to be the big litmus test does it work or are they going to have to go back to the same old formula just to keep making the games i really hope that's not the case <laughs> I thought you were going to say just to keep making that money. <laughs> well, I, I think read between the lines. <laughs> uh, they got Pokemon Go. They're going to be just fine. They're going to be fine forever. Yep. No way. Pokemon Go is actually, well, it's Niantic, but still belongs to Pokemon Company, right? Yeah, it's all in there. It's all in there. The big question, though, is, Dan, mm. for you personally, is it going to be Kodaidon or Miraidon? Is it going to be Scarlet or Violet, past or future? Well... I think my nostalgia comes in and says, go with the past. But my love for experimentation and where I think the Pokemon series could go is drawing me to the future. So I will be going with Miraidon and seeing what the future of Pokemon has to offer us. Oh, that's a really interesting plot twist here because I would have thought <laughs> at the beginning, I would have thought he's going to go for Kodaidon. He's going to go for the past, of course. <laughs> Because in the context of the Pokemon narrative, that's where the future kind of lies. <laughs> true, that's true. So it's all recursive. <laughs> but the thing is, I'm actually glad that you make that choice because I really, I find the Kodaidon side, I find Scarlet very appealing. Also because the Professor Huto with his side cut. Yeah. He looks a little bit intimidating to me. He does, yeah. <laughs> He's, <laughs> they both, in fairness, they both kind of seem like they're fed up with everybody. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They look very fierce. They look yeah. like, if I were to look that fierce when coming into the classroom, the students were like, no, 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 no we're going to choose different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can I still switch courses? They would already be writing an email, you know, to the course <laughs> <Yeah>. advisor. 
then I'm going to go with Scarlet. But then that's cool because then we can trade Pokemon. We can play yeah. together, yeah. basically. We can do some co-op and we can do some trading and then we can do our proper review in November this year. Yeah, I'm very excited. Pokemon was really the first game that I ever played, really. I mean, I played some computer games before that, but Pokemon Blue was the first game I ever owned. It was the first one that I ever beat a million times. And so Pokemon always has a special place in my heart and I'll always try the new things they're putting out. And I'll give it another chance. Yeah, come along with me on this magical journey, Stefan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I at least want to see where the road's going. Yeah, your Pokemon <laughs> journey awaits. <laughs> well, I hope that you out there might also be curious about these games right now because we would gladly know which kind of version are you going to choose and why. Please feel free to send us your answers by going to studyingpixels.com contact. Of course, thank you so very much for listening as always. If you want to, then you can head over to Twitter where Pixelcoon is kind of working on our Twitter account and sending out fun little audiograms and little tweets and tidbits about each and every episode. So it's a nice time to just browse through your Twitter feed there. Thank you so very much again. And we're going to see each other next week. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.